KBLA Talk 1580. Good morning and God bless. I'm Dominique DePrima. You know that. The show is called First Things First. You already knew that. My first thing today and always giving thanksgiving praises and asking for blessings from God, asking for the blessings of the ancestors and the elders and getting it going. We've got a lot to talk about as always. Happy hump day. So the way we do the show, hour one, we focus on the left coast, what's going on in Cali, this whole Pacific Ocean side of town. Hour two, we go national, international and beyond. And in the third hour, we do a deep dive. You know, things are a little bit upside down and inside out because we got a little less than two weeks until the last day to vote, which is March 5th, Election Day. Voting is on now. You probably have something in your mailbox that you've been ignoring that looks big and bulky. That is your ballot. So you can fill it out and send it in now. But until such time, we are doing our best to get you prepared. We are your election information station. So you can go to KBLA1580.com and there you will find interviews with many a candidate and um, conversations that will help you figure out what you're doing in terms of your votes for all kinds of things. And most especially judges, because I know a lot of people do not pay attention to that. On this day, um, uh, El Haj Malik El Shabazz, Malcolm X, was assassinated and always, um, w- you know, want to remember and take note of that, remember him um, and the contribution, the massive contribution that he made to our liberation, our uh, progress as black people, and certainly that is a Black History Month fact that we can all pay attention to. Joining me in studio right now, a candidate uh, running first thing in the morning. Let's get to it. Um, running for the assembly state. It's a state office. Um, it is an office you've heard from a couple of the other folks who are running for um, assembly. She is, uh, she says, a beacon of advocacy and resilience in Los Angeles, committed to civil rights and social justice. Uh, she went to St. John's University, specializing in paralegal training uh, from UCLA. She has, uh, she says she's working to dismantle systemic barriers facing African-Americans and says her legal acumen has been pivotal in her fight against police brutality and her efforts to secure rights and reparations for black workers. Um, 
Tara Perry, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. Um, so you are an activist first. Yes, ma'am. And um, ready to be now a lawmaker. Um, tell me why you want to step uh, to the other side of the mm-hmm. conversation about advocacy. Um, I think it's 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 extremely important because um, I think advocacy should either push current legislators to do more and better, right, and have have the current establishment respond to our needs or become them, right, in very much the vein like John Lewis, right? We have to make sure we can get on the inside. Should we continue to stand outside the door and scream and, <laughs> and throw eggs or should we eventually enter into the buildings? I think there's this, uh, there's this misnomer that only certain types of people should become um, elected officials. And I think uh, for the people's needs to be best represented, it has to come from the people. And I, I am of the people. I live in this community. I've, I've, I'm raising my son here. And um, seeing the way that our community is at the, the bottom of every indicator for quality of life, we have to have people who are of this everyday experience li- living in this district. And how are we going to actually solve the the ills within our community um you are well the question about quality of life you're talking about our district you're not talking about black people or any segment of the district well well, both right because black people are also at the bottom of (laughs) of every indicator for quality of life and we this has been a historically black district but although the the it's changing it's still an, an impoverished level right the county's uh, level of poverty is $75,000 a year. In the district, the median income level is 53000 a year. You know, that's that's extremely low. And especially when housing prices are going up, the people in the community can't even afford to continue to live where they live. Um, and and it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's disheartening. So yes, and if you're listening somewhere else across the country, that might sound like some money, but in LA, it, it doesn't get you far. It, it that, really doesn't. That get ain't you even far. gas, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. barely. But I mean, of course, I'm talking about Black people, but within our district, it's it's even lower, right? Because we have we have uh, new people coming into the district. We have a lot of undocumented immigrants, and they're. There are people who are street vendors who still are not making enough money to still live in in our district. So that's why I'm saying it still applies. It still applies to the district as a whole. Um, you, you're a single mama. Yes. Um, how does that how does that factor into your idea about what you'll do in the assembly or your perspective? Um, in a major way, uh, my son, uh, he's nine and beautiful black boy. And every morning he has to see these black men that are homeless on the street and asks a lot of questions. Um, I think we have to start getting to a place where we're doing the politics to ensure the security of our children's future. I think that's kind of gotten away from us um, to still see South Central where it is. Um, and it looks very much similar to where I wouldn't say there's been no improvements, but it looks still very similar to to the way it did when I was a child, when we're looking at uh, the quality of life for the people in the district, right? At what point do we actually start to see some types of transitions? This can't be, we've gotten so used to the dysfunction in our community that no one bats an eye anymore. And I think that to ensure that I leave this place to my son better than I found it, that's that's a part of my motivation. Uh, you got a lot of stuff on your website and in your bio, the things that you... Um that are important to you, um, 
criminal justice reform is one of them. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? First of all, let me ask you this. Do you mm-hmm. consider yourself to be a progressive, a liberal, a conservative, an independent? <laughs> How do you... Um, I, I would say a progressive. I would say a, a radical black progressive, if, if that's a thing. Um, yeah. If you say it's a thing, it's a thing. <laughs> um, yeah, because, I mean, that's... It's an interesting point on adding on to the descriptors mm-hmm. for progressive because a lot of people um, claim that title and it doesn't really mean anything mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, bearing out in their actions. Um, so how do you define progressive? I would say, I think it's, that's, a, that's an interesting question. I would say progressive in terms of being, having the desire to see transformational change. Um, whether it be thinking outside of the box, being innovative in our approaches to policy, uh, we have we have different people. We have people on different spectrums of the progressive line, and so it means something different to a lot of other people. But there may be some people who feel as though you know we should you know abolish prisons, and so for those people, they may feel they're progressive. There may be some people who feel like we should. Uh, incorporate an element of community safety as well as keep current law enforcement, and they may feel that's pro- progressive. But I, f- I feel for me as um, as a politically progressive person, I truly want to see transformational change. I want to see the uh, prioritizing of the needs of the Black community and 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 other communities as well. But for people who've been here for a long amount of time, as we have over four hundred years, we we kind of still feel like we're treading water. And to prioritize the needs of the black community, I think, helps the community as a whole. So through that lens, mm. what does criminal justice reform look like right to you right now? I mean, you're interestingly enough, you know, you um, you're running at the same time as this heated race for district attorney. <laughs> yeah. uh, and you're running against one of your opponents is is a lead organizer for Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. So. What is uh what does criminal justice reform specifically mean? Uh for me criminal justice reform uh looks like input from the community, right? I've been on the neighborhood councils locally and we've had these conversations about um I know where a lot of my generation is in terms of um uh, criminal justice reform. A lot of people want to see the the police department abolished. A lot of people want to see um complete community community safety but there are still elders who feel a sense of safety with current law enforcement right how do we have those conversations i wouldn't come to act as though i have all the answers because that's my perspective as a as a millennial but i want to include other people in the community who may have a different view than i do i think it has to be a comprehensive approach um you you just you know, defined yourself as a millennial. Mm-hmm. It's a generational thing. And there's a lot of conversation right now, nationally especially, but I think everywhere, mm-hmm. about, you know, whether or not our current crop of lawmakers are too old, <laughs> right? Whether, you know, it's for some reason, especially focused on Biden, even though Trump is also old. Yeah. Um, and, but, you know, as technically, so is... um Congresswoman Maxine Waters, although mm-hmm. she don't walk and talk like it. Yeah, no, Auntie Maxine is, she's, I think she's, she's much more tapped in than the, you know, the other elders who've been in office, right? And I don't think it's necessarily um, an ageist situation. I think it's more of that millennials are the first group of 
of of people who are doing worse than our parents. And I don't feel like I, I, I believe a lot of us feel as though our needs are not being heard. I thought Gen we're, X was the first. No, okay. No, it's millennials. We're the first. Yeah. We're the okay. First group. I, some black folks might want to argue that with you. Well, I mean, of okay. course, including the crack I'll, era, I'll right? Give you the, yeah, right? that's what I'm talking no, about. That's for sure. What but I'm about. but right. yeah, okay. I'll give you that so, crown but, if you want the, but the, we're the, we're the, the we're, oppression crown. You can have it. We don't even have to like argue about it. I know every... Uh, every generation has its own unique yeah, challenges, challenges for, sure. for sure. Right. But, you know, at, at 40 and 30, a lot of us aren't even on the way to owning homes or anything. Home ownership is kind of like almost out of reach for our generation. Uh, when we're looking at the way that um, housing prices are skyrocketing, but wages are stagnant. Right. We're not really seeing any progress we're seeing much more many more millennials opting out of even having children because they're like there's they're not even affordable when by 28 a lot of our parents already had full-on families married houses two yeah. three kids it's well, not it's kids not, are not a, kids were not affordable for the generation <laughs> prior either but yeah. Uh, yeah i have been seeing those statistics yeah. about younger folks opting and some of that is career like i'm a wait but some of it is yeah it's too yeah it's too expensive so how does that i mean so how does that translate into well that's the what i'm saying i don't question. think right i don't think that it's necessary like we feel like they're too old we feel like our problems are unique and they're not being addressed because they don't have these problems we need to actually elect um we need to elect legislators that are coming in with a different lens because there are so many gaps, right? When we're seeing, um, for example, what can I give? Um, uh, like when we're looking at, I'll say, the targeting the uh, the job the job uh, program that's come from the city, right? When we're looking at uh, a lot of what they're supposed to provide for the black community as far as like a thousand jobs or something like that. Yeah. They're still having barriers to access of those jobs because they're not considering the position of a lot of these people. When we're looking at if the if the requirement is um, a high school diploma or a driver's license, we're looking at a lot of these black men. I used to work at the LA Black Workers Center. We had to turn away so many simply because they didn't even have driver's licenses. So there's a... There's there's gaps to there's gaps to, for people who are making these laws to even understanding what those what the access points are. And so I think millennials bring that view to even understand, like if I when I go into office, I can have that conversation about how many people are simply riding bikes because they don't have driver's licenses or don't even have access to a clean car with insurance, with tags, so they can take a test, so they can have a driver's license. I think that is a generational experience that may be overlooked in certain positions of power. Talking with uh, Tara Perry, she's a candidate for Assembly District 57. If you got a question, hit me up uh, on YouTube, KBLA 1580 in the chat or... Call 800-920-1580. I'm Dominique DePrima for KBLA Talk 1580. She's reclaiming her time on KBLA Talk 1580. More First Things First with Dominique DePrima when we come forward. Your ancestors' favorite radio station. Radio station. And your favorite morning show host. Let's get back to Dominique DePrima right now. Right now. Right now we're talking with Tara Perry. She is striving to be your next assembly member if you live in District 57, it's a crowded field, it's a heated race, um, and she's got uh, big plans. Um, tell me about the Black Pact. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, thank you for asking about that. Uh, Black Pact is a political action organization I created um, pretty much the day Trump was elected. Um, 
it was more so of listening to different people and and understanding that there were so many people who fell uh, fell to the propaganda of you know the Russian bot whole thing and the Haiti this and that with uh, Hillary Clinton and just a different. Um, conspiracy theories and I was like well where's the central source for black people to get our political information so that we can understand that it's been vetted that it's trusted there were so many fake documentaries on YouTube and and it was just more of like how do we come together and start to do politics together and be accountable for for one another's interests and and I think we have to also get to a point in as a community right we have to get to the point where we start doing the politics for the least of us and not just from our own selfish standpoint. So I think uh, so in creating Black Pack, I wanted to create that space to where we can have those conversations. We can look at information. We can vet candidates. We can have we can have forums. We can push an, an, an actual black agenda to actually help our community. Right. We're constantly turning out in these elections. But what are we getting in return? So a part of that was to create that black agenda and pushing for reparations as well. Yeah, I want to talk. We'll talk more about reparations. It's a big uh, topic on this show. Oh yeah, um, and in our community as well. But um, I feel like people are always saying there's no black agenda when there actually is a black agenda. What? Please tell me. Um, well, I mean, you know, e- equal housing, equity. Um, but that's for everyone. Well, no. I mean, yeah, it's f- everyone wants equity, but when, when we talk about basic things that black people want, yeah, it's true, we don't have a detailed policy that everyone agrees on for everything, but there are lots of things that we coalesce, coalesce around. I don't think we're just wandering in this sea of, but, but that's you the, know, but, aimless... But that's the point of having a black agenda, right? We have specific needs that should right. be addressed I mean, in a specific way. I mean, but the Urban way. League has one, and the, st- you know, and, I, the, and, the, and the state of the black world, and, you know, I mean, there's lots of people, you know, that have put out black agendas mm. whether or not we i think if we it, I think adopt if you, them I think on if a popular level i think if you're else. not prioritizing reparations that is going to heal our community in much in many more aspects than one i don't think you have a black agenda i don't think that if we're well, not, i would say that's part of the black agenda okay I, a big I, part right it, it definitely is but i think that if we're not holding elected officials accountable to that agenda we're not going in we're not we're not offering our vote in exchange for this agenda. That's what I mean when I'm talking about a black agenda, like in, in, in terms of us actually organizing around it. Yeah. We continue to just throw our vote out there because we're responding out of fear, but we're not getting anything in return. I, I mean, a lot of people <laughs> say that, especially online. But, but I'm, And I do but, think we could yeah. we could do better on accountability. For but sure I don't can. think we just say, OK, we'll vote for you no matter what. I mean, I think people do ask for specific things. Whether or not folks deliver is another question. So how do you put teeth into tracking that? Well, then how do you put they teeth don't, into that expectation? But then we have to start having conversations about timelines for deliverables. Right. If you're not, de- if you haven't delivered by a certain time, we're not going to deliver the house to you in the midterm. Then if then if you're not responding, and you've completed your term and four years in office, and you've done nothing for us, then we will vote you out. Doesn't matter who's next. It doesn't matter who you think we should be afraid of. You have not delivered. So you agree with like Rashida Tlaib? Uh, we're straying a little here because we should be staying mm-hmm. on the state. All right. But it, you know, you you start talking about this this kind of quid pro quo, which is what politics is all about. That's not anything unusual. It's not unusual. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. It's it just is not we don't unusual. always do the follow up. But, but a lot, and how many people make us feel guilty about it? Well, I, I, I'm not worried about right. Those but even Rashida Tlaib, she's talking about what is she? She's what is talking she, about uh, non committed, right? Right. Rather, but the than ADOS, the ADOS uh, movement did the Democrat down ballot. 
in 20 Well, I think Democrat down ballot is or a no, little different. Well, I'm, than, well, what I'm saying is yeah. they were they were called voter suppressionist. And some of them were. Some of uh, them were not. Well, some of them were not. I, I mean, I don't let's know. look I don't at individuals. Let's proven, look at individuals mm-hmm. and their track record. I don't want to say the whole Ados movement yeah, or the yeah. whole mm-hmm. you know Democratic Party or because you know we got. All I'm saying is that re- is Rashida Tlaib being called a, a suppressionist. Ever. That's all I'm saying is that. Well, that's the question. Yeah. Is that is is that the tactic? I think is like that you tactic. Said, like you does said, that tactic make sense? I think having an exchange for our vote makes every bit of sense. What, no matter what you call it. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's pretty basic. But I'm saying, how far do you go with it? Would you say vote non-committal this year in 2024? Would you say vote down ballot? Which you know, okay, if that's what you want to do. What I say, I love down ballot as opposed to no vote. Mm-hmm. Right. At least you can get your votes for assembly district. Yeah. <laughs> you can't <laughs> tell know. people to stay home. I think and that still get elected. I think the black community should have a a very in-depth conversation about the risks right i think that i don't think that's a i i don't think one person can make that call but that's why it's important for us to get organized and come together and make that decision Hmm. but we can't just keep having people running us out to the polls out of fear but we're not getting anything in exchange well i think that that's um I think, you know, your point about reparations is a good one, right? Mm -hmm. Especially on the level that you're coming, that you're looking to come in. Mm -hmm. On the California State Assembly, we are unmistakably at a crossroads when it comes to reparations. And one of the big things that I'm disappointed about, a lot of people are disappointed about, is that uh, the Black Legislative Caucus did not come forth out the box with... uh, with a proposal or a bill or a soon-to-be bill right. that has no anything proposal. to do with cash. Right. There, there's 14 bills. None of them have to do with payments to descendants of enslaved no. persons. No, we got another country. hair bill. And I don't know. I don't know what to think of, to make of that. But um, Another hair bill. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, and I don't think it's fair to say they didn't do anything constructive. I mean, there's some good stuff in there, but there's no cash. There's so no, what would you yeah. do about that if you were elected? Well, that that's partly why I, I want to run. I was on the editing t- team for the bill for AB 3121 that impaneled the commission. I want to see it go to the next level. I want it to see it. I want to see it do what it was meant to do. We, we can't just have a commission for two years, have this book of recommendations and just go, okay, and just tiptoe around yeah, right. it. Nice. We have to, you're right. right. Yeah. Oh, thanks. You know, we can't do the same <laughs> thing that we did with the state, uh, with the with the redistricting commission for uh, for mm. the city, right? I shouldn't so have asked you that question right then because we're going into ah, news, traffic, okay. and sports, but we'll continue on the other it. side. Okay, sure, no problem. Worth yeah. the time for sure. For You're listening sure. to KBLA Talk 1580. All right. More of First Things First with Dominique DePrima when we come forward. Thanks for waking up with Dominique DePrima on KBLA Talk 1580. I do thank you. We're talking with Tara Perry. She wants to be the next assembly member for the 57th district. We were speaking on reparations mm-hmm. and I was asking you, you know, you, you, you've been deeply involved in this. What, you know, what you would do. Um, there's been a lot of conversation about the assembly, well, not just assembly, the assembly and the state senate not mm-hmm. doing enough in terms of uh, the bills. There are 14 bills. Some of them seem pretty good to me, but there's no cash. So what would right. you do? I mean, you 
you got to you can't just go up there and write a bill. You got to have colleagues to vote on that. Correct. I mean, I, I think, of course, having these conversations, what is it that we're able to do? Um, you know, whenever it comes to talking about cash for for reparations or black Americans, everyone's like, well, how are we going to pay for it? We need approval or not even approval, but we need other people to agree to it. Right. But the governor is proposing a bill for a billion dollars of housing for um, for veterans. Right. Did anyone ask? Did they take a popularity poll and say, hey, we need to we need to house veterans? No, they know we need to house veterans. Right. We have to. <laughs> they may have taken a poll. We <laughs> may, don't know. May, well, <laughs> may have. But I'm yeah, saying that in the conversations. I, your point is well taken, though. I in mean, the conversations, no one's, no one's right, putting not, up those roadblocks. We just found money for for uh, health care for undocumented people. Right. I didn't get pulled on that for popularity purposes, but I think that if the state, if the state, not that the state, if the state feels the need to do it, but the fact that it needs to get done and you prioritize these issues, I think we should. If we're looking at the plight of black Americans, when we're looking at people who've been disenfranchised from slavery, uh, reconstruction period, uh, Jim Crow, redlining, convict leasing, we have to have a solve. The war on drugs, we have to have a solve and we have to find the money. And I think prioritizing a bill that includes cash, it's not reparations if it does not include cash. All of these other ideas, they're okay, but we still need cash. We still need to make black people whole, black Americans whole. Um, One of the suggestions from the uh, CLBC was um, addressing food injustice by requiring advance notification to community stakeholders prior to the closure of a grocery store in underserved or at-risk communities. That's great, but after notification, then what? That community still does not have access to capital to open up their own grocery store. So if we're not including cash, it's not reparations, and we have to stop calling these (laughs) responses or these reparations bills that if they don't include cash, it has to be a comprehensive approach. I mean, I agree that we that has to include cash. And I'm really tired of the talking point that mm-hmm. reparations is not just cash. Right. I, I understand where that it's comes from. It's not just from, cash, but it but, must include cash. Right, right. So, but on the other hand, I don't think, you know, if we're basing these things on the recommendations, then they are part of reparation, Right. I mean, I don't know how the grocery store, that's, um, you know, how that, I don't know. I feel I <laughs> feel like there must be I mean, something to that that I'm, not, uh, that I'm not seeing that, right. you know, because just telling me I'm about to have less food options. Right. So, well, when we talk about food deserts, I can understand that being a response to food deserts. Right. right. But it still is not a response to us having our own grocery stores. We need to have our own grocery stores. We need to have our own schools that we're funding. We need to have our own uh, banks. We need to have our own, well, Tavis Mali and KBLA, right? We have our own media outlets, but we have to have... We have to have these different um, components within society to make us. And the irony in that conversation is we did have a lot of that stuff. Right. And, um, it's and gone. It's, it was taken, stolen, terrorized away. Absolutely. Okay. So clearly, um, you, I, you know, I don't, th- I guess this leads into another question mm-hmm. because you have ideals about reparations. So do I. But if we get elected, you uh, are running for 57th. I'm not running for anything. But mm-hmm. if we get elected tomorrow, you can't just walk in there and get it done necessarily unless you have some kind of major mobilization or some experience, right? And you've never been an elected official on a statewide level. Mm-hmm. Um, so why do you think you have what it takes to get stuff done? I've I've talked to people, especially activists that went into politics and then I'm not going to name any names, but (laughs) over the years, and then they've been stunned at how hard it is to get anything done. Mm -hmm. I think, I think um, 
the idea of being a consensus builder, right? I think you have to go in being that and with that with that idea. But I think to and when we're talking about reparations, we have to do more educating. Like if you're talking about, um, I would say, lack of a better example, these smashing grabs, right? If we're talking about these smashing grabs, if we're talking about crime in certain communities, if we're talking about um, people wanting to feel safe, you have to educate people on the economic lockout of certain communities and why certain people may may participate in certain types of crime. So if you want truly want the community to be safe, then you have to empower a certain group of people. So, I mean, you brought it up. I wasn't necessarily <laughs> going to go there. Mm. But um, the smash and grab, you know, the retail crime, I guess is how it's being characterized. Yeah, yeah most folks are calling for task forces and um, there there's a movement afoot to increase the penalties you know uh for for those crimes um i think it's adding to people's sense of not being safe we just did a poll here for kbla of Mm -hmm. likely black voters in la county and they're saying they felt they feel less safe than two years ago and it seems like that whole retail crime right but even when we're looking i mean i do think a part of it is not only organized but also part of a political propaganda piece that haven't proven yet but um I think that we can't just constantly respond and be impunitive, right? We have to start empowering communities. You can't continue to look at crimes of poverty and criminalize people. You have to look at their needs and why are they doing this? You know, they're not smashing and grabbing because they want to wear this stuff on the streets. You know what I'm saying? They're selling this stuff. After COVID, a lot a lot of our community has been economically devastated. We were already at a the the econo- the wealth gap was was astronomical right before covid and it we were we were on task to be at a wealth level of zero by 2053 that has accelerated since covid so we're looking at communities that have already been economically deprived prior to covid what's working i mean i'm hearing a little bit of doom and gloom here Mm -hmm. what's working in your in in your estimation what do we need to do be be doing more of Mm -hmm. um i think more of listening to the community we need accessible leadership that's going to actually talk to the community and see what those solves are we need to bring more resources to the community my community is extremely under-resourced when we're looking at their the lack of jobs when we're looking at the lack of um pay they just increased pay for a lot of health, uh, not healthcare workers. They, well, yeah, the healthcare workers as well, but um, fast food workers to twenty dollars an hour. That's great, but they still can't afford a one bedroom apartment I mean, <laughs> at twenty dollars yeah. an hour. Like we're we're we're, and that only happened because those fast food workers were organizing, right? Too. And I we're mean, still like we're still just... inching, and we're just giving people a little bit. And even still, twenty dollars an hour is not going to l- allow you to afford a one bedroom apartment in this in this community. We're going to have to do something about housing, regulating housing prices. We're going to have to, uh, like I said, bring in more jobs, bring in more careers, and and have have those uh, salaries actually be responsive to the actual housing market. Mm. Okay. I don't know what's working, but um, they ain't doing it right now. So you, um, okay, <laughs> got it. You, um, you say housing justice is part of your platform. For I think sure. every candidate, left, right, Republican, <laughs> Democrat, they all say that. Right. But what do you, what do you propose? What are you going to do about mm-hmm. it? Or what would you like to do about I it? I would like to uh, implement more programs that will help lead people into homeownership. Um, you 
you have to make maybe what what is it three three times the amount of rent technically to comfortably uh, afford where you live a lot of people are spending much more than that more than 50 percent of their income on yeah. housing most are i think most are right like we, we have to do something about that but what can we do is a question well yeah i want to um i want to have programs that's going to lead into uh home ownership we have to have uh more grant programs that are going to allow people down payments there's rent out here that's more than mortgages. Yeah. So we have we're going to have to eliminate uh, credit credit checks for people to do renters, uh, uh, apartment renters. Um, that is definitely a barrier to access I mean, so affordable then you're, housing. Then you, we have then to you're regulate asking the housing market. Landlords to just rent to someone without a credit <laughs> check. I mean, like that also seems like mm. something. Yeah, but I mean, like, but then they can provide their income. Okay. They can provide their income. I think as long as people don't have evictions. That's fine. But when we are just coming out of COVID, how many people are experiencing evictions? So there's going to be there's going to have to be some level of grace and forgiveness because of what people have just recently economically gone through. Uh, we, we need to we need to regulate the housing market. We need to put a moratorium on foreign investment that is that is uh, inflating our market. Right. With outside resources, it the the access to home ownership has gotten so far out of reach for people who live here. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And it's it's not due to our own dollars. It, a lot of it is fueled by uh, foreign investment. Yeah, I and, think there should be a moratorium on on that as well. Moratorium on foreign investment, foreign investment. in real estate. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, some of it is corporate investment too, right? Yeah, domestic, um, the kind of uh, commodification yeah. of housing. Yeah, we need to regulate that as well. We also need to do a survey on the amount of uh, vacant homes that are here. I know we have a housing shortage at the same time that we have to build. We still should uncover how many are vacant, right? We, we shouldn't have to overbuild either and oversaturate our community. I know we have a lot of people in our community. I've had many uh, meetings with community members who, who are not happy about SB9 and SB10, right? And the building of 10 units on these single family lots. This is not what they purchase their homes for and the types of communities they is want to be in. Is that though? I mean, I, uh, yeah, I think it definitely is an element of, of nimbyism, right? But it's, I understand it's responsive, but how much of that is for developers gain and for mom and pop landlords to make more money? And how much is it is really toward um, building so that people can be housed, especially if it's still not going to be affordable. They have ADUs that are for rent for over $4,000 yeah, well, in South see Central. That ADU. And, 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 and you're still share, you're sharing a lot with someone else still. You don't have a garage. You don't have a place for storage. Like we're living on where we will be living on top of each other at astronomical prices. Yeah, I, you know, I can see your point. I, I, if I was choosing between that and the tent, I'll take the ADU with no <laughs> parking. I'm just saying. Yeah. Yeah, I, too bad we have to choose make that choice though. Mm -hmm. They're also building more apartments without parking. Yeah, I know. I see. There's one right over here in yeah. Lumberd Park. We're talking with Tara Perry, she wants to be the assembly woman for uh, District 57 here in Los Angeles. She's asking for your vote. Find out about her endorsements and uh, more when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. The station you turn to when you've had it up to gear with cultural incompetence. KBLA Talk 1580. We knew you'd stick around. This is LA's home for progressive talk radio. Welcome back to KBLA Talk 1580. Tara Perry, millennial candidate for um, Assembly District 57. Mm -hmm. um, and who, you know, 
Standard question, who's endorsing you or who, who would you say are your strongest supporters? Um, I would say my strongest supporters are uh, community members. Um, um, my campaign, we have not reached out to um, establishment endorsers uh, for the simple fact that we're running on a reparations program um, platform, right? A lot of people aren't ready to, to be that innovative yet. And, and that's fine. I, I've re I refuse to tailor my message to the desires of other people who would like other things done that may be counterproductive to my community. So, Okay, I'm I looking. Have, are, do you, I got, have you? Big U, Skip Townsend, uh, Zarita Jones, shout out to y'all. So yeah, a lot of community members who support my work. So um, have you done any of the pledges like no oil money, no, um, you know, cop money, no real estate money? <laughs> Not taking no cop money. No, I'm definitely not taking no cop money, but I think that's probably the only one. No. Well, yes, I'm not taking any cop money. <laughs> yeah. Something tells me real estate developers are probably not lining up to give you money. Oh, no, maybe, they're not. No. But maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> okay. So I'm looking at Black Pack yeah. here, uh, your your Instagram, and it has a lot of stuff about reparations, mm -hmm. not surprising, um, and a lot of stuff about police justice or some stuff about ending police uh, yeah. brutality, which is actually in your bio. Yes. Um, it also has uh, noted that uh, Trump was suspended from Twitter. Is was that a, a happy post or a sad post? Ah, uh, it was probably a ha it was a happy post. I was like, really? Um, yeah. I mean, <laughs> we were actually uh, planning a march for reparations in D.C. at that time, and our permit was on hold because of the D.C. shutdown. <laughs> So we had to, wow. yeah, so we had to um, move our March reparations to, um, from from Inauguration Day to val that following Valentine's Day. But yeah, it was, it was unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. because uh, there was a coup going on. Well, right. good thing you weren't there. <laughs> yeah. Because they, they would have, you, you know who they would have been shooting at that point. Uh, yeah, I mean, there was, there was, there were propaganda pieces out that were saying that we were an armed protest that was coming to mm. push for reparations in D.C., but there was an armed protest there, but it was not ours. <laughs> but <laughs> That's how that Yeah, it was, it, it, it was terrible. We got a lot of death threats during that wow. time. Wow. Yeah, for Sorry sure. Sorry to hear that. Yeah. That's, that is terrible. Mm. Um, and, and unfortunately, it's becoming more and more part of everyday politics, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, um, for sure. The um, but not so much in California because we have a super majority of Democrats. Mm -hmm. um, what should we be doing better with that super majority? Um, what should we be doing better? I mean, we also have influential and a pretty decent number of black lawmakers considering our, you know, our numbers in the population. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think that is a plus, but what is the use of them being black if their policies aren't going to be black or black focused? Uh, I'm not saying they can only focus on black people, but at what point in time can we be pro-black in our approach when it comes to policy, right? We see a lot of lawmakers that are um, that prioritize their community, but for some reason it's been kind of uh, shunned to do it if you're a black legislator. And and I, I plan to go into... Um, to office and 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 not be that right we have to have people who are going to do full-throated black politics and as well as include other communities but we can still address our direct needs for our community in the way that they are yeah, i think there's a lot of conversation here on this show that you know people are tired of just being lumped into bipoc and want to mm -hmm. be addressed with the specific needs of of you know black americans and for reparations sure. 
is is one place where that seems the most clear. Yeah. Or it should seem the most clear. I mean I mean I think it, I think reparations does make that clear, but I think also in not even even being BIPOC when we're talking about solidarity between black and brown community, that has definitely become a, a an overplayed talking point as well. But what does that look like? Like there that that attitude of solidarity it has to be revisited there has to be true um rules of engagement there has to be a real exchange there has to be expectations of the different communities we can't continue to act as though everything that impacts the black community impacts the latino community or or vice versa it doesn't and it's okay to say that we have specific needs and it's okay to address them in the way that they need to be specifically approached um yeah, well, I, I from my experience w- with um, black brown solidarity in the political arena, mm-hmm. in the community organizing arena, not just in the you know hold hands and sing arena, but in the actual practical arena, it's people getting together around specific issues with specific goals. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I guess I'm not sure what you mean by rules of engagement when people say, "Okay, we're we're all going to vote for Karen Bass mm-hmm. and we're going to campaign together," and this is you know this is a specific goal: elect a mayor of L.A. We just did it. No, I think that's great, right? But <laughs> when we're looking at the the um, the situation with Nuri Martinez, right, there should be an expectation of a of, of a response from the black from the brown community in that um, there should be a, a specific response that I think the black community should have expected from the brown community, right? There's sh- not just Nuri Martinez, Kevin DeLeon, right? He's still, he's still there and he's still having... Hopefully not much longer. Right, hopefully not, right? He's, yeah. st- he's still having uh, public uh, public events and ribbon cuttings and... And running for re-election right. and raising goo-gobs of money. Right, yes, so where, in, in terms of allyship, not, right? Yeah, he's, I don't think that's the best example, but... Well, I'm just saying in terms of allyship, right, we can't just have certain groups showing up for the MLK parade we have to still there has to be continuous work within both of our communities to make sure that we're not politically undermining each other number one and number two to be uh, real good allies and and respond in our communities and addressing anti-blackness and latino community it. it has to be done and, and i just think it has to be revamped tara perry is my guest and when we come forward we'll hear some final thoughts on her campaign to become the assembly member for the 57th district of california kbla talk 1580 Quiet part out loud. KBLA Talk 1580. Heard any other talk radio lately that sounds anything like this? We didn't think so. You're listening to Unapologetically Progressive. KBLA Talk 1580. Uh, Tara Perry 4CA.com. T-A-R-A-P-E-R-R-Y-F-O-R-C-A.com. Is that right? Yes, thank you. Oh, good thing, since I just spelled it out. <laughs> um, So, you know... <laughs> The I get that you haven't gone after major endorsements from mainstream candidates. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of folks running in this race. Uh, I don't know how many, but it's a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, I see, you know, Knock LA, for example, they've they've endorsed Akili, which actually kind of surprised me. A lot of people have endorsed El, uh, Sade Alawari. There's black people, speaking of black and brown, there's black and brown people running in this particular race, Dulce mm-hmm. Vasquez, um, Ephraim Martinez. Ephraim Martinez, right. Um, I'm surprised they don't even mention you here, which, you know, but given, you, you yeah. know, your activist background. Is that background, the LA Times article? <laughs> no, this is uh, Knock LA. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. But um, what, what do you say to people who are afraid that we'll end up losing a black seat because there's so many candidates here? Mm-hmm. Um, 
I would say, I mean, I would say keep the faith, right? Make sure we come out, <laughs> make sure we come out and vote. Um, I think that like, like we talked about like allyship. Um, I mean, but if we're choosing between you and Sade and. Uh-huh. Well, I'm the, I'm the only African-American woman in this race. And I think that's important. So you're saying she's not African-American. She's not African-American. She says she's Afro-Latina, correct? Well, so, she's, she says she's Guatemalan and Egyptian. Okay. So I'm the only African-American woman in this race. And I think having a, a, an African-American lens or a lens of uh, American descendant of chattel slavery, uh, it's specific, right? We're, we're, my people have been here. We've gone through so much. And I just I would come in with a different with a different lens. I'm a millennial. I have um, a different approach to legislation. And, you know. I, I have nothing against anyone in the race. Like I've I've worked with Akili. Um, I'm not. I, I haven't worked with the, any of the other candidates. But I think that you know everybody is running on their own volition, and so. Okay, we know, got a minute here. A little less than a minute. <laughs> I want make your do your elevator pitch. Why we should vote for Tara Perry, yeah. Assembly District Fifty Seven. Uh, Tara Perry here, and um, I am running because I am deeply connected to our community. I am of the community. I am a single mom who is experiencing life in the way that everyday people are, and I would go into um, to this seat and represent our community to the best of my ability with the lens of seeing what is wrong with our community and bridging certain gaps for for access that a lot of our community is not getting, right? We have too many barriers to access to programs, to uh, home ownership, to sustainable housing. Uh, We need to bridge those gaps and we need to prioritize the needs of our community and, and, and prioritize economic development and reparations. Tara Paris, nice to meet you. Thanks for Likewise. coming in. Thank you so much for having me. And I grew up listening to Street Science, so thank you so much. It's a it's an honor to be here. Woot woot. Okay. Tara Perry com. When we come forward, we're getting you ready for these elections and we got some judge judicial candidates straight ahead. KBLA Talk fifteen eighty.